Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. What do an underground nuclear bunker, a little girl named Sophia, and a semi-truck and trailer have in common? Well, listen to this episode to find out. I had the privilege of watching Christine McGuire take on big professional challenges with grace and enthusiasm. She and I were colleagues for several years and traveling partners to Africa before she became the executive director of the Diefenbunker, Canada's Cold War Museum. In this conversation, we talk about how to find personal growth, overcome challenges, and lead with gentle persuasion instead of force. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, Christine. How are you today? I'm doing so well. I'm so glad to be here with you, Shagil. Me too. I'm really happy that we finally got a chance to have this conversation. And before we get into a little bit about you, I'll just tell you why I've been looking forward to this conversation. As I've worked with you and watched you, I've seen a few times a bit of a pattern where you enjoy taking huge leaps of challenge in your career. You take on big projects, you take on multi-level jumps and and levels in your job, in your career. And not everybody does that. And so I'm really interested in having a conversation where perhaps I can understand a little bit more about what goes on for you when you make a decision to take on this really significant project that perhaps has never been done before Mm -hmm. or something that you want to do in the future that doesn't rely on successes in the past because the future right now, of course, is so uncertain. And there's lots of people that have to move into places of extreme uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I think what you might have to offer on the way you've thought about moving into uncertainty might be helpful for some people right now. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of what I was thinking about in reaching out to you to have this conversation. Yes. Well, thank you. And that's such lovely words <laughs> about me. And, and thank you for that, Shaquille. My dad always used to say to me that nothing worth doing comes easy. Mm. So I feel like I'm growing when I'm struggling. Mm. And that doesn't mean that uncomfortability you have to get a bit comfortable with, if that makes any sense, is that these leaps of faith and these risks come with these, again, uncertainties. But that's when we know that we're growing, we're learning as individuals, we're contributing to something that we feel is really meaningful. Mm -hmm. So I would say that I've, I guess I've gotten a bit better in my career in in feeling comfortable with that struggle and know Mm -hmm. that something great will come of it. So I want to actually probe a little bit there. So the last thing you said is you've learned to become comfortable with the struggle and know that something great will come of it. Is it actually that you've learned to be comfortable or do you 
now seek discomfort because there's an actual joy or an excitement in the discomfort. Yeah, I could, I, yeah, you could say that. Absolutely. That there's, I definitely, maybe, I don't know if it's subconscious, <laughs> but I yeah. seek that struggle. And I always think of like the difference between change and transformation. Right. And I always think of it in like an analogy of almost like a, a, a caterpillar and a butterfly change, like a caterpillar, it could get slimmer, fatter, faster, slower, but it's still a caterpillar at the end of the day. But that transformation, which requires struggle, it requires work, it requires effort. That's true transformation when then it goes to that butterfly. So in terms of my experience in leadership roles and these kind of bigger projects that take risk, that struggle is necessary for that transformation to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me just give you an observer's perspective, because oftentimes it's the people watching you that see things. And if I watched you and I watched your reaction to taking on big new projects, on one hand, there was an unflappability about you, which is remarkable. On the other side, there was this actual, not just unflappability, but actual joy and excitement. So where I might've been nervous coming to you, uh, and this won't make sense to a lot of people until I tell them our relationship <laughs> and our history. But when I was having discussions about coming to you with like a curveball kind of challenge that we just thought you'd be great at, where I thought I was nervous to bring it to you because I did not want you to say, oh my gosh, no way, I'm not gonna take that on. I'd always find you'd have the opposite reaction, which is, wow, that would be really cool and you'd be excited about it and you'd make me excited about it and so that's an energy that that you give off just because your pursuit of struggle actually I don't know if you realize it has become embedded in at least what I have observed in you your Mm -hmm. pursuit of challenge your pursuit of complexity and struggle and growth is something that comes across from your style the way you work I don't know if it's intentional I don't know if you you knew that but just telling you an observer's perspective Well, and I think I try to see the opportunity and you're actually one of the only people who's described me in my career as tenacious. And I love that. I was like, oh, tenacious. Like I've never been, but I also saw so much opportunity for others to make fruitful changes and adapt. And I've been very lucky throughout my career to work with such extraordinary, diverse expertise. So when people bring these perspectives to projects that are organizations that I'm leading, like that's what strengthens these, these outcomes or efforts is like these really colorful, thoughtful approaches is that yeah. I think that collaboration and, and teamwork is just so key to really any organization's success. Mm, very cool. So that was a lovely way to start a conversation. Uh, very unconventional opening to a, yeah. <laughs> to a conversation. So now let's do the more conventional so people know who you are a little bit. Why don't you tell us what you do, the organization you work with, and go beyond the title and actually tell us a little bit about how you describe and define what you do. Yes, yes. So in a formal sense, I am the executive director of the Diefenbunker, Canada's Cold War Museum. So it's such an extraordinary, neat place. Like it's a once top secret underground nuclear bunker that was the uh, Canada's defense against nuclear attack. So it was never used for its intended purpose. 
the Cold War ended, and now we're a nonprofit charitable museum that welcomes over 80,000 visitors a year. So my role within the organization when I first came on was to really create strong foundations in terms of the organizational efficiency. Like that was a pretty kind of strong mandate on, on, on the part of the board that they wanted me to achieve, as well as a financial sustainability, but also reigniting that visitor experience, which I love. And that's what I did in my kind of previous roles as an exhibition developer is like, how can we tell a story that will impact people's lives and really have them create these deep affinities for mm -hmm. the history, the work that you're doing. So I work with a very exceptional team that helps me meet our mandate. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're a, a smaller organization of about 10 to 10 to 15. My role is really moving this organization forward with them. Well, you say 80,000 visitors a year. I didn't know that number. And for those people that are living outside the Ottawa area, I've actually got listeners in Europe and the Middle East that don't Amazing. know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, and even other parts of Canada may not even know what we're talking yes. about here. Like 80,000 people who literally discover this very hard to find museum that's literally not figuratively underground. <laughs> like even when I came to meet you one time, like, as I'm driving to find it, you're basically telling me, just look for this little shed. <laughs> it's a shed in the hill. It's a, shed, it's a shed on a hill. And you park your car, you walk into the shed, and you go through an experience. And then ultimately, you get to this amazing complex underground. How I don't know. How big is it? How big is it underground? It's 100,000 square feet, and you're 75 feet underground. So it's like, it's honestly like a small city underground. It's huge. You walk down this blast tunnel, and it's damp, and it's cold. And then you walk through, and then all of a sudden, like, you're just stepping into history. It's really extraordinary. And then it would have housed the key members of the government to run our country yeah. if a nuclear attack ever happened. So it's a really strong testament to our desire for survival and yeah. that continuity of our of our country yeah so the idea is that if ever that we were hit or experienced a nuclear attack our prime minister and his cabinet yes would be moved to this underground facility that was top secret at the time go into the shed and go downstairs and actually begin living their life for a while until things got better. There was the prime minister had quarters in there, like camp quarters and yes. an office <laughs> and all of those kinds of things. It was quite remarkable. What I found really fascinating was, as you said, the step into history to understand what Canada and the world was experiencing during this time. What are we talking, fifth, the 1950s? Yes, it was, it was built in that night between 1959 and 61. Yeah, yeah, remarkable. And I'm a huge nostalgia buff. So just kind of placing yourself in that time frame is, was really, really something. So you basically run this extraordinary museum underground, which is all about helping Canadians, visitors to Canada, take a perspective on the history of where we were as the world. How do you connect the dots between that and the challenges facing us now and into the future? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a really stark reminder. And that's why I love it so much, because it's not a museum in its sense of a purpose-built museum. It's this 
site, this national historic site that then in turn turned into a, to a museum. So it's a stark reminder on how close we came yeah. to, to global annihilation. And I think that's where when I, for, when I came on um, as executive director, really thinking about our vision and that we really want to take a stance in building a new form of engagement and one that's grounded in communication and, and, and collaboration. And we still see remnants of the Cold mm. War today. There's, you know, we live in a very tumultuous current world affairs. Mm. We have world tensions. There's lots of discussions on Arctic sovereignty. So where we're trying and what we really seek to do in our mandate and what I do as executive director is not completely being stuck in the past. Like mm -hmm. that we do want to, we want to learn from this significant time in our, our history to better inform our present and, and future. Mm -hmm. And right now, like the interpretive themes of the bunker is all about fear and isolation. So it's mm. relevant now, mm -hmm. today more than ever. So I think mm. there's a lot of lessons we can take from mm -hmm. that time that can inform a better world and a better mm -hmm. future for all of us. Yeah, really something. So thank you for sharing that. One thing, so your executive director now, you described kind of your origins of your career and your education. Can you take me back to childhood, adolescence, what led you down the path and also in the process? Tell us what your original profession was. What were you educated to do? What did you start doing early in your career? Yes, yes. Well, I would say that I created a really deep affinity for museums quite early. Like I have this very strong memory a nine-year-old self being at the Museum of Nature and there was this like huge spider exhibition going on. And I don't know if any of you like for the 80s people, 80s babies out there, but there was this terrible movie called Arachnophobia in the 80s, course, yeah. which completely terrified me for from spiders. And I remember I actually had like this fear overwhelm me that I started to cry. And I remember this museum guy coming up to me and just coming down to my level and explaining how important spiders are in our environment. And she, she was just so lovely. And I, you know, that famous quote, like you'll forget what people say but you'll never forget how you make them feel mm -hmm. you know so that's something that created a really deep connection for me but then early kind of in my university I was studying history and again that love for museums and I was thinking like how do I even get like how do I, mm -hmm. how do I move to the next step mm -hmm. and it was volunteerism I started volunteering for a really small museum by my my house and that was something that got me going in terms of my career and then that led me to my master's and like wow it transformed me in terms mm. of my master's. I was studying Chilean refugee experiences mm -hmm. who came to Canada during mm. a very uh, violent time in their in, in, in their country. And they welcomed me into their home. I was telling the stories of how these memories are represented through art, through music mm -hmm. and the museum exhibitions. And it was all based around this mural that's in Carleton University. That was done by Chilean refugees during the 70s. And that's, I kind of passed it every day. I mm. passed it every day in the history department and I got really interested. And that's what kind of led me to my master's. Mm. And uh, wow, what a, an extraordinary experience. Mm. You said the word transformed, tra doing your master's transformed you. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this question, but transform means you were one person before and you became something else after. What was the before and after for you? Mm -hmm. The before was, to be honest, somebody who lacked confidence in mm -hmm. what they wanted to do next in their career, mm -hmm. um, what they wanted to do that really fulfilled them. 
So I would say the before, what was that? And again, I have another really strong memory of, it was my fourth year and I was speaking to, at that time, the graduate head. And he wasn't very convinced that I was the right fit in terms of master's programs or kind of, for lack of a better words, like had what it took. But then I had these really key people within the department that really believed in me. And that's something that I feel like I've been very lucky throughout my career to have people who have really taken the time to help me grow in my leadership mm -hmm. roles. And they mm -hmm. did that. So throughout my master's experience, like the end was that I believed in myself. Like I believed mm -hmm. that I would make mistakes. I believed that I had the capabilities to do this and to do it well. I believed that it was important to seek help when I needed. So that transformation, like those two years, really, I kind of came out a different person in the end. Mm, amazing. Yeah, we're so fortunate when certain experiences come into our lives. And I think it's a combination of we have to seek these experiences out, but sometimes we're also very fortunate. And one person I interviewed was that you, in some ways, you make your own luck, right? You kind of put signals out into the world about what you're seeking, what you want, and you tend to attract those things, but you do have to seek, you do have to put yes. in the effort and the work to kind of bring those things to you. That's very cool. Yeah. So you and I met at Aga Khan Foundation Canada. I was the chief operating officer and you came on actually having left a position at the Diefenbunker, right? Mm -hmm. So you yes. left and we've had this conversation where you basically left an underground museum and you joined Alcon Foundation Canada, which is this operating in this big glass, bright, above ground building <laughs> in, in downtown Ottawa. Tell me about what was going on for you in making that choice that from underground to above ground, what were you seeking? And what did you find? Yes. So I have to say too that I, I had a five month old, so I was on maternity leave and oh. I saw that job opportunity for, for an exhibition uh, and public affairs officer at the time. And the project was just something that really attracted me. It was a traveling mm. exhibition that would go across Canada and increase people's understanding about our roles as global citizens. And the mandate of the foundation really, really connected with me in terms of seeking to alleviate global poverty and this public awareness around it. So I just saw the, really the benefit Shaquille in going outside my sector. And that was very scary, but now it, yeah. it really gave me so much experience, but a competitive edge as well. So I went from being a heritage and museum professional to going into international development. So that's yeah. a big leap. That's a big leap. Um, so that learning curve was quite stark from having met the people during those interview processes. I knew that everyone would be very supportive in, in that learning curve, but that, you know, the project that was highlighted when I first moved from the museum to the foundation was within my field. But then I knew I got to work with all these people from journalists to educators to digital analysts. It was something that really attracted me. And I took that leap and my husband <laughs> ended up staying home with the little baby. Yeah. That, so I do remember that time because of course, part of my function was I looked after human resources and that yes. was a very unusual circumstance. I don't actually very often, and that's happened one other time where somebody actually wants to come off maternity leave <laughs> to come back to work because there's a job opportunity that's too exciting to pass up. Exactly. So obviously you were not looking because you were on maternity leave. How did this job even come your way? 
and tell me about that experience of seeing it, looking at it, and what was going on in your brain that moved you from, I'm on Matley with my five-month-old to let me embark on an extremely challenging new career in a different sector and a different organization, probably an hour commute away from yes. where I am, all that <laughs> stuff. Tell me about that, that a little bit of the process that you went through. Yes, you're right. I wasn't looking. I, you know, was home with my second daughter. And uh, it's interesting you say about like a little bit of the luck component that you kind of look back on your experience and say, wow, if that didn't happen, then like, where would I be today? My sister who had been studying international development. So she was, she knew of the Aga Khan Development Network quite well. It was, I think it was September in 2013. And she sent it to me and she said, Christine, this is perfect for you. Like, it's such a great project that I know the organization, they're amazing. And I was like, oh, Meg, like I'm home with Haley. Like, and, and it was, I think it was a good week before the, for the closing. So I looked at it again and I just said, and I spoke with my husband, I'm like, I just have to take this leap. I just have to. I have to try for this. This is just too exciting of, of, of an opportunity. And then I applied and went through the whole process and was given this opportunity. And I said, okay. And it was a very ambitious project and mm. timeline. I think I started in December and I just hit the ground running. And I think I had a deliverable <laughs> for, for a mini exhibition in like in the May of their fundraiser. So that's a bit about how that yeah. came to be and almost like a little bit of luck on that part of my sister sending me this job posting. And and tell me about, well, the gratitude to your sister for, yes. sure, for, <laughs> for knowing you well enough to put this in front of you. How did that conversation with your husband go? <laughs> oh, my husband is, I'm so very lucky. He's an incredibly supportive person in my life. He's um, always been a huge champion of mine for anything that I'm scared about that I want to try. So he's kind of my number one believer, I would say. I'm so grateful to have a partner who really cultivates my growth personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. So when I came to him and he's like, Christine, you have to, like, and I was just, I was swaying. It was like one of those, oh, it's just the timing, right? And often I find we use timing a bit of, as an excuse. Mm. Um, and it's like, you know, timing. And it's like, he's like, Christine, forget timing. Is this important to you? Is this something that you want to take a chance on? And I said, yeah, it is. I, I really do. And he's like, okay, I'm staying home with the baby. <laughs> wow. Remarkable. Yes. Remarkable. That is amazing. And I'm sure he actually gained a lot from the experience developing a solid bond and a relationship and getting a new experience. And he got something out of it as well. But what a remarkable support system that you have there, a champion you have with you. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Definitely important to surround yourself with people who, I don't know if you're, if, cause you have two boys, right? Chico? Yes. Yes. I yes. don't know if you remember if this was when they were young, if this was a saying, but you kind of always trying to surround yourself with people who add to your bucket and not take away from your exactly. bucket. Exactly. Yeah. I say that to my girls and my girls are 10 and eight, but I still think about that too. Just surround yourself with like people who, who contribute to your growth and, and people who take away from it. Yeah, that's such a powerful lesson. That's probably going to make my summary at the end. Um, <laughs> that idea of surround yourself with that people that add to your life to in fact, even for talking math, surround yourself with people that multiply, yes. which take something that you have a capacity, a capability, a vision, and actually help you elevate it to another yes. level is probably it. So multiply and add as opposed to subtract and divide. Yes. Right. I think that's a really great way of thinking about it. One of the things that I used to was guided on when I first learned how to interview people when I worked at a consulting firm. 
we had this informal saying in the interview prep stage, which is when you're about to interview somebody, remember, you want to do the test. There are going to be smart people, but the test you want to have is, would you be willing to be stuck in an airport with them for hours? <laughs> because as a management consultant, you're traveling all the time and there's all sorts of flight delays and you end up having to spend a lot of time with people in, in airports. So the test was, would you be willing to be stuck in an airport with this person in the interview process? So that was our informal test. Well, you and I had that opportunity experience. We did. I, 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 we traveled together with a few volunteers for a remarkable trip to East Africa. And I've made a few trips. So remind me, we went to Tanzania. We went to Tanzania and Mozambique. And Mozambique. Yes, yeah. So that was it. I've been a few times. So that was the trip we went to Tanzania and Mozambique. Yes. Uh, That was your first trip of that kind? Yes, it was. And what a powerful trip. And uh, yes, I was thinking back on our time together traveling and we were, we were given the kind of gift of time where we spent a lot of time in airports getting, you know, to know each other and in cars and that we never would have got that opportunity in in our kind of offices, right? Is that because we traveled together, we really got to know each other well and the volunteers at the foundation as well. But wow, when we went to East Africa and that was the first time, right? The first time I've ever been to the continent uh, of Africa and those two countries and seeing the incredible work for education and healthcare was just, again, really changed my perspective of Mm -hmm. the world. And yeah, what a meaningful cause that I was able to see. And then in my job, go back to and be able to tell those stories Mm -hmm. and help the connections with people who otherwise couldn't see these Mm -hmm. programs in person. Mm-hmm. But because that's ultimately what you do professionally is you are a storyteller, right? There's librarians that are storytellers and I yes. imagine children sitting around them and as they tell their stories and there's business people that tell stories by in their delivery of presentations and keynote speeches and all that. You're a storyteller that works with very different materials, media, but essentially you're telling a story. Yes. And so... Let's, I'm going to cut to a story that was very moving for me that involved you. And you'll know the story because I think you've told it and you might have even written about it. We were in a school in a rural part of Tanzania. And we were talking to a teacher and asked her, and I think you asked her, is there one child in particular that you're very, very proud of? We won't tell the other kids, but is there one child? She went out, pulled this little girl from the playground or not the playground, the field outside sat her down and this little girl, basically, I don't know, four years old, wrote her name on the slate board that she had. She wrote her name or she wrote something, mommy or daddy or something on that thing. And you were sitting across from her, a stark contrast because you were as white can be, and this beautiful (laughs) little child, four-year-old child from this African village was sitting there and Watching the two of you was just a fascinating kind of mix of Canada and Canadians and this child in Africa. And you started tearing up watching her write on that slate. And I think she was writing mommy and daddy or something. Tell me what was going on for you. So I have such uh, distinct memories of that little girl, Sophia. And I think I got really overwhelmed. And there was a couple times on the trip I got that. And this was one where she had written Baba, which is father in Swahili. Mm-hmm. And it brought me back to a week before our trip where my four-year-old daughter, Leah, 
was learning, she had written for the first time, daddy and mommy. And I just thought like the power of education, these opportunities, like that's where our connections are Mm. so much with each other. And that an organization that I was able to be a part of and, and tell that story, that powerful story of empowerment and opportunity that I just became really overwhelmed. I became really overwhelmed and and grateful that I was able to witness this and experience this. Mm -hmm. And that this four-year-old who is so, so similar to my Mm four-year-old getting the same opportunities that Mm -hmm. they can grow into their full potential. And like for somebody in a leadership role who I want to be a strong female role model for my kids, that I want them to have the opportunities and the support systems that regardless of their sex won't matter. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I know it's a little bit of a cliche that you kind of can do whatever you want, but I don't even want their sex to be a factor when they're thinking through any decisions in their life and their, in their career. So I think that's why I got really Mm. choked up. And another experience that kind of overwhelmed me was when, I don't know if you remember the Shaquille, but it was in Tanzania where we had visited a hospital Mm. and we were going to visit, we were going to visit a person who had been getting cancer treatments there. Yes. Yes. And we were about to walk in and I got a huge overwhelming emotion and I actually had to remove myself. I had to Mm. walk away. And it was just one bringing back memories of my, my father who had passed away when I was 19 from leukemia, but also again, this like grateful feeling that these institutions and programs that are, are in place in some of the poorest areas of the world, Mm -hmm. the most difficult in terms of terrains, in terms of resources that they're getting these essential healthcare that my dad was given the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that was another experience that like really overwhelmed me. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So you experienced these things firsthand and you were then kind of inspired, motivated to go back and tell these stories. And one of the ways you were going to tell these stories was through a big part of the reason you were hired was this traveling exhibit. So I'm, I was happened to be in the conversations when we were drafting the job description of this and the vision we had for that job, we were picturing this idea of a traveling exhibit, something that you fold up, pack in a box, you move to another part of this country and you rent a venue and a space and you set it up. Like we see this happen all the time. It's like trade shows, right? You just pack it up, you move it, mm-hmm. you set it up somewhere else. In the spirit of doing things differently and taking on challenges, you chose to do something completely different. You decided to, rather than actually put it in a box, you decided to put it in a trailer and a truck. <laughs> so now we have an international development agency that is basically getting a lease for an 18-wheeler, a truck, hiring a truck driver and creating a museum on wheels. How do you make the leap from little Sophia in a school house in rural Africa to telling her story on a truck traveling across the country. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, first for those stories and that opportunity where I was able to hear firsthand those experiences, I wanted to have the best, most efficient, the most powerful platform that we can tell the stories. Mm-hmm. I had developed traditional traveling exhibitions throughout my career. Like they're, it's standard. That's why they're called the, like you said, it's kind of like a trade show. You book your museum venues, you show it for a particular time. 
but early, very early on, I feel like it was like the first three weeks when I started at the foundation, I came across from the director of public affairs at the time, this really incredible out of the box, quite risky, really, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. platform where it was completely new territory for me. It was completely new territory for the foundation. So it took convincing, like it, mm-hmm. it didn't just happen uh, overnight. I really had to bring people along mm-hmm. in this idea with me. And I'll kind of never forget that we were, I think it was five of us all deciding with the CEO and saying, okay, so are we going with this? Are we going to be safe and go with this? traditional traveling exhibition or are we going to be risky and I remember it almost didn't happen like it was that kind of pivotal point that we ended up all choosing that risk together yeah it was just like really bringing people on board and persuasion and I think that's a little bit too in my approach of leadership in general and with the truck is that I don't know if you know of the fable of the north wind and the sun I do, but tell it. Yes, yes. So yes, the the kind of North Wind and the Sun were debating about who was stronger. And to uh, resolve the dispute, they saw a, a nearby traveler and they said, okay, whoever can get the traveler to take off his cloak is the strongest one. So the North Wind just kept blowing and blowing like, as hard as he could. And the traveler just kept clinching his his cloak even tighter and tighter, the harder the wind would, uh, would blow. So the wind kind of gave up and then the sun started off by gently shining her rays and the traveler Traveler got was getting warmer and then you know the getting the rays hotter and hotter and that eventually the traveler got really warm and ended up taking off his cloak and sitting under a tree so I really lead by and kind of my approach to leadership and projects is that persuasion is stronger than force mm-hmm. so there's a lot of power in being able to bring people along in the journey with you mm-hmm. that they really become committed with the cause and with mm-hmm. the project and with the approach that you're taking so with the truck it was that persuasion right it was yeah. in, and that takes time so that's something that i learned that i have to be patient with is that force can sometimes be fast but it's not as effective and efficient as we'd like it to be where persu- persuasion takes a little bit of time but wow we did it we launched this massive transport truck that went across the country That had 80,000 people that went through. It went to Yellowknife, it went to Vancouver, it went to Halifax, really engaging with people and like stories of Sophia, Mm. stories of how they're lifting themselves out of poverty. So it was a a really incredible project. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I picked up on there. It was interesting how you talked about that story with the North Wind and the Mm. Sun. And it's about persuasion. And essentially what I draw from that story, different people will draw different things. But what I draw from the story is kind of facilitating a journey for people where they come to their own conclusions and decisions and take action because of those conclusions and decisions, right? I'm feeling warm. It's a lovely day. Let me take my jacket off and throw it over my shoulder. And it's an action that I took based on this experience. It must, sounds like it must be like that with creating exhibits that you're not forcing people to believe something. You're not telling them what to do but you're creating an experience and a journey that they will go through. And hopefully if all goes well, they will experience a journey and then choose to take some form of action or change in their beliefs or something coming through that. Yes. Yeah. So if that's, and that's the approach you apply also to leading other people, helping them come to their own conclusions. Now that's remarkable because I've actually never drawn that connection between what you would do as a profession for people coming through exhibits mm-hmm. and how that plays into your role as a leader, both upward management 
and leading your people to lead them down their path to draw their conclusion. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I'm just, I find that really, really interesting how you've, you've connected the dots between those two things. Did you realize you were connecting the dots? Did you see the parallel? No, not till like right now, the way you said it in terms of how people um, go through exhibitions, because that was a huge, well, like really half of my career at that point was, is it was an exhibition developer, but it's so true. It's like when I'm developing exhibitions and creating stories, I want to create as many touch points with opportunities for people to deepen mm -hmm. their knowledge, their connection, that kind of, like you said, action. You know, that's why it's so colorful with exhibitions is there's so much interpretation and diverse views on it that you're really trying to connect with these people in different ways. And then same with, like you said, the leadership approach as well is I think that commitment and that journey that we go along together will, especially in terms of your leadership, will bring more of a commitment mm -hmm. to your team. Because often I find in, in terms of my experience that often when you think of like the leadership style, like the consensus building or like you mm -hmm. consult and then decide is that so many people think consensus building is you all agree. Mm -hmm. Right. And same with people visit, like visiting all the exhibitions, you don't expect them all to agree on the same message. Like it's always diverse, but it's not actually about all agreeing. That'd be a pretty boring and colorless work environment, but it's about commitment. It's about commitment to the idea, commitment to the story that you're telling. So I can definitely see the parallels in both that exhibition, that commitment in terms of the story you're going to tell, but then hopefully the commitment that those visitors will get by those certain engagement points and then same with kind of your management leadership of your staff yeah yeah very cool because you did then end up leaving us as much as that hurt many of us personally because <laughs> we just really liked you but yeah. we had ambitions for our organization and let me just add one thing is for people to recognize that organizational boxes and titles it's sometimes very easy to feel like no one is indispensable and you can put anybody in this box and do the job and there's a job description and somebody will do it. The truth of the matter is, if it wasn't for you, your approach, your style, that organization would have never, ever, ever put a museum in a truck and driven it across the country and taking it to festivals all over the place. And there were people in rural parts of the country, in northern parts of the country, they got to experience Canada's work in extraordinarily difficult places and these inspiring stories, they got to experience that. And I want to believe there is a little girl like Sophia somewhere in, did you go to the Yukon? We went to the Yukon, didn't we? We went to Yell Yellowknife, yeah. Yeah, went to Yellowknife. Northwest, yeah, you, yeah, Northwest you went to the Northwest Territories. There's a little girl in the Northwest Territories that heard a story like the story of Sophia and it moved her, it changed her. In some way, it's like a sleeper thing in some point in her life. <laughs> that memory will come back. That's pretty remarkable. And not just anybody could have done that. I love talking about ripple effects. That's a pretty big ripple when you think about the number of people that went through that exhibit that would have never, ever experienced something like that if it wasn't for the path you took to make that happen. So yeah. congratulations. That was my opportunity to, to, Thank to you. tell you that. that. That's so lovely. That's so lovely of you to say. And it's taken me a bit of time to just say thank you when people give yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> compliments and recognition. So yes, but thank you for that. But it was definitely uh, the result of a lot of people's love and work yeah. into that organization. So Well, and, and not to make you blush even more, and I'll say it very quickly, is that not only was that exhibit amazing for the organization, but you got significant recognition. 
the was it I can't remember the name of the organization but is it the Canadian Museum Association or yes the Canadian Museum Association we did we won the award for excellence in in exhibitions in Canada so that was a huge recognition for the story and the powerful exhibition that we did and then we were invited as well to a global conference in Croatia on award-winning projects exhibitions across the world that have really powerful messages the exhibition was definitely well received within our community. Yeah. So you came out from your underground bunker to yeah. take this job in this building. <laughs> you traveled to Africa. You came back. You found a creative way to tell the story. That story and the way of telling the story got noticed, has probably inspired other people to think differently. And then you decide to go back underground. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so like in the last part of this conversation, I, I, I want to hone in a little bit on you went from doing what you were doing to going back to the Diefen Bunker, several steps up in your career, because now you're the executive director. Let's, mm -hmm. people that don't know what that is, you're essentially the CEO of this museum. That's a huge leap. Mm -hmm. There's way too much to talk about that we can do in 10 minutes. But can you kind of boil down for me, what are two or three things that you've picked up from that significant leap in your career journey? Yes, it definitely was going, like you said, from the foundation back underground. It was kind of like going back home a little bit to still have nostalgic memories of the smell of the blast at all that dance hall. <laughs> but I think that leap was quite similar, actually, to the leap from the original time I was at the bunker over a decade ago to the foundation, where it was really scary leaving a work and a workplace and a job that I loved. I really did. I loved working with the foundation. I made great friendships. But in my career, I wanted to continue to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So the life cycle of the project that I worked on with the foundation had come to an end. Like mm -hmm. it was kind of a natural, even though like I know we were thinking about what my next role would be is that when this opportunity came and I was privileged to be given that, that position and to lead this organization, I was most afraid of and most excited about the difference that I could, mm -hmm. that I could make. I made a difference with the foundation. I saw that, that I wanted to go back to this organization and have the opportunity to really solidify its sustainability, but growth and that importance mm -hmm. and kind of going again, back to my field, but learning so much in terms of working outside my sector and coming back and being able to lead this extraordinary organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously you brought in with a mandate to improve mm -hmm. the effectiveness and the operating efficiency and fundraising. Yes. What's been the biggest challenge you faced in some of those challenge, some of those challenges moving the organization forward? Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, a couple challenges, uh, similar actually to maybe Agacon Foundation, is that one is that the museum isn't as well known mm. to the general, right? Is like that awareness and that mm -hmm. branding has and will take a lot, a lot of work to kind mm -hmm. of bring that to something that's not necessarily a household name, but that people just have more general awareness of your organization, your mandate, and why it's why it's, in, mm. why it's important to them. And then I would say the other challenge is my great aunt, who is an incredible businesswoman and a lovely woman. When I first got that job as executive director, she's like, well, what kind of leader are you going to be? And I said, well, what do you mean? And she's yeah. like, well, are you going to be a leader for the people or a leader for the organization? And I said, well, I'm thinking, I'm like, is this a trick question? And I was like, I'm going to be both. And she's like, great answer. And where I find the kind of challenges 
is that balance, mm. right? That balance of behind all these organizations and these products and these stories and these approaches, there's people, there's mm. people that we care deeply about that have so much expertise and willingness to grow and contribute so much to the success of your organizations. And then on, on the other side, you are accountable mm. for the organization. I am accountable mm. for the sustainability, the survival and the growth of this organization. Mm. So where I find the, the challenges is that balance, right? Mm. And then sometimes you're going to sway mm -hmm. too much one way to the other. And then you're going to, you're going to find that you'll have to kind of manage that correct it at times be vulnerable enough to take accountability into balancing that because it is, it's a kind of a, a balancing act with being a leader that really works for your, and is held accountable by your employees. But then, you know, there's going to be tough decisions yeah. that yeah. you're going to have to, that I have had to make that were required of me and were really necessary for mm -hmm. the growth. And again, I keep talking about growth and I often think about too, that, that going back to that struggle that we talked about right. in the beginning, right. Is that there's going to there for me was struggles, but yeah. I knew because there was that those were those struggles that we were growing. Mm. Yeah. So it helps you kind of make peace with the, the pain, the difficulty and the yes. challenge <laughs> and the sleepless nights, I'm sure, yes. because you know that you're actually growing and you will end up somewhere better because of the struggle. Yeah. It's kind of where we started the conversation, where we we're, <laughs> we're finishing the conversation, which is great because it comes back to kind of the early conversation we had about lessons from your dad. Mm. Is there anything else that you remember from his advice, his teachings, your observation of him that you bring back? as you're doing your job now leading people? Wow, there's so much. His drive, his compassion, his patience, his willingness to forgive. I don't think he was quite the expert at this in his career as of yet, but he was trying is um, to not necessarily take things too personally, is to take a step back and be curious. Mm. Be curious about some of the challenges that are heading your way. So that's something that is a, a practice for me mm -hmm. and taking a step back and just be curious about it. Just keep asking those important questions about some of the challenges and even successes of your organization. And, and that's where I think the growth is going to come. Well, let me tell you, since your conversa the conversation we had started with a story from your dad, let me just say that all the things that you described that you've picked up from him, and he passed away when you were 19, you said? Yes, yeah. Well, Christine, I've seen them all in you. So your dad and his spirit and his lessons are alive and well in your leadership. Thanks for sharing this time with me and wish you and your family all the very best and your team at, at Stephen Bunker, and I look Thank forward to you. coming coming for another visit at some point. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Shaquille. Okay, take care. Have a good day. You too. I learned a lot about personal growth by working with and watching Christine. She demonstrated how you don't grow unless you're uncomfortable. If you are moving through life too easily, you're likely not pushing yourself enough and being all that you can be. And so she demonstrated that and talked about it really well in this conversation. And she showed how that if you believe, just believe in yourself, it's remarkable what you can accomplish. But she also talked about how important it is to surround yourself with people that also believe in you, that will help you, that will support you, that are looking around for your best interest. She shared a lot about persuasion and how 
using her experience as an exhibit planner, helping people learn, uncover, and go through personal journeys, provided her with a set of skills and an approach to lead people through decisions, to guide both people that reported to her, but also the people that she reported to, to help them make decisions. If you want to shift and pivot in your career, start from a position of strength, something that you know you're already good at, and then look around at other areas, diverse areas that you can move to, grow new skills, and develop new capabilities, but starting from a position of strength. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.